afternoon. It's so good to see each and every one of you. So good for us to be out here for the second opportunity to, to come together, sing praises, and to worship God. And I don't know about you, but I'm feeling pretty uplifted. I'm pretty feeling pretty good about being here this afternoon. But also, there are many. There's something else on a lot of people's minds today. I don't know if this is uh, directly applicable. Appli- applicable to you. Thank you. I had a hard time with that word. I don't know if this directly applicates to you, but in about three and a half hours, a large portion of America is going to be joining in and in viewing a tradition that has been around for the last 49 years. Today marks the 50th playing of the Super Bowl. Football's arena to determine the greatest team, the best team of the year. Now, if you're like me, you didn't have any idea who was even in the Super Bowl until maybe you heard about it on the news or overheard somebody else talking about it. But maybe you're not like me. Maybe you are a die-hard fan of the gridiron matchup. You love the game, you have your favorite teams, and you wouldn't be caught dead rooting for a rival. You may even have a better understanding of what I'm going to be talking about here in just a moment because you live football. Now, this can certainly be taken to dangerous levels you can, uh, and unhealthy levels. In a worldly sense, we could see how such a fascination could ruin possibly marriages. It could ruin maybe your job and get you fired if you're all the time online looking at the stats are and not doing what you're supposed to be doing, not paying attention to your wife or, your, or maybe your husband because the, the game is on. But even also in a spiritual sense where we could place something on such a high level that it replaces God in our priorities. But I'm going to give each of you the benefit of the doubt tonight that you're aware of that already. What I want to talk about this afternoon is authority. You know that football is a large part of so many people's lives, and they oftentimes make decisions based off of that. Maybe they say, well, I can't go out tonight because the game is on. I've got to be here to watch that game. Now, we are so thankful for DVR, which is so, it's turned so many people away from hermithood and back into socialization. But... Maybe you're another type of person. Maybe you're one of these people that even refuses, goes to such great lengths that you won't wash certain articles of clothing because you just know it brings your team that extra little bit of luck that they need to win on that game. Yes, I'm talking about those who have that lucky pair of underwear. There is so much that people do in the name of football, in the name of sports. Let's turn over to Colossians. If you've been studying with us in our, in our morning classes, we've been studying out of the book of Colossians and having a, an excellent study in that. And I would encourage all of us to make every effort we can to be here for those studies. But Colossians chapter 3, we're not quite here yet. We're going to get here. We're going to go over this passage in, in detail, I know, in the future. But in Colossians chapter 3, in verse 17, we read these words. <clears throat> Whatever you do in word or deed... Do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. What we are going to be talking about this afternoon is that idea. Doing all in the name of the Lord. Like football has affected so many, this passage should have a prominent impact on the life of a Christian. It should affect us on several levels too. It should affect our personal morality and our personal conduct. It should affect our view of what is right and what is wrong and how we behave. It should affect our thoughts and our actions. That is that very idea of in word and deed. Everything we say, everything we do, even when no one else is around and no one else is to hear it, the things that we say and the things that we do should be affected by this phrase, do all in the name of the Lord. 
how we conduct our public worship assembly. Certainly we want to have the right sort of authority there for everything that we do in worship, even our secret desires of the soul. Those things that we want most in this life. For some people, maybe tonight, that's for Peyton Manning to go out on top in his last Super Bowl appearance. What I'm hoping to show this afternoon is that in all these things, they should be molded by this phrase, in the name of the Lord. So what does this phrase mean? To do all in His name. What does it mean to do something in someone's name? We can understand in, in, in secular examples that it has something to do with the authority, with power, or with right. A secular example of this might be when, when people act on the authority of another, like diplomats or ambassadors who come and they speak on behalf of their whole country. Or maybe a, an example that we're all more familiar with, hopefully I've never heard these words, policemen say stop in the name of the law. They're saying that they have the authority to stop you because they're acting by the power or the right of the law that they uphold. But what about some places in the Scriptures? Where can we turn to see this in the Scriptures going on? Let's look over in the book of Acts. There's two very interesting places in the book of Acts where this where this is talked about, and they are, they are polar opposites of one another, really, if we study them. Acts chapter 3, starting in verse 6. But Peter said, I do not possess, this is talking about the, the lame beggar that was, that was begging for, from them. Peter said in, in Acts chapter 6, I do not possess, or excuse me, Acts chapter 3, verse 6. I do not possess silver and gold, but what I do have I give to you. In the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, walk. Let's skip on down to verse 12. When Peter saw this, he replied to the people, Men of Israel, why are you amazed at this? Or why do you gaze at us? As if by, your own power, as if by our own power or piety we had made him walk. The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus, the one whom you delivered and disowned in the presence of Pilate, when he decided to release him. So in this passage we read of, of Peter and this, this beggar is coming to them begging for alms. And Peter heals him. We didn't read that. All, if, we, if you read through all those passages you'll see that. But we can see that from, from verses 12 and 13 that Peter certainly healed him. And so, so something great happened here. There was a, a miracle done in the name of the Lord. But now turn over to Acts chapter 19. Acts chapter 19 and verse 13 through 16. But also some of the Jews, Jewish exorcists, who went from place to place attempting to name, <clears throat> attempting to name over those who had evil spirits the name of the Lord Jesus, saying, I jure you by Jesus whom Paul preached. Seven sons of one Sceva, a Jewish chief priest, were doing this. And the evil spirit answered and said to them, I recognize Jesus and I know about Paul. But who are you? And the man in whom was the evil spirit leaped on them and subdued all of them and overpowered them so that they fled out of the house naked and wounded. What happened there? These are very different, different examples here in Acts. In Acts 3, Peter heals the beggar in the name of the Lord. But in Acts 19, these Jewish exorcists in the name of the Lord end up getting beat up and running home naked. Just what happened in these different situations? I think it would suffice to say that there is a wrong way to do things, even in the name of the Lord. And I think I think uh, I want to, or I would like to spend a few moments looking at some right now. So let's consider when we do all in His name that there is a man's way of doing all in His name. First one I want to look at this afternoon are the creeds of men. 
The word creed comes from a Latin word which means I believe or to put one's heart. So we understand when we talk about a creed, we are talking about a set of beliefs or something that someone has put their whole heart into. That is to say that they completely apply their lives to it. Are there any problems with these creeds of men? I want to suggest that there are. One thing that I want to notice is that under creeds of men, our creeds compete. They compete with other creeds. This is quite obvious, judging from how many different creeds there are today in the world. But on a deeper level, they compete with God. Let me read you this excerpt from the 1956 publication, The Doctrines and Discipline of the Methodist Church. What it says here on page one of this publication is, We have therefore expected that the discipline, that is the the book that I'm reading from, would be administered not merely as a legal document, but as a revelation of the Holy Spirit working in and through our people. What they're saying is that they hold this book to the same authoritative level and from the same divine source as the Word of God, seeing as how they, in their minds, both came from God. So what happens when these two sources contradict one another as they do? Which one do you choose to follow? History has shown us time and time again that men's way is oftentimes to follow other men and not to follow God. So creeds are obviously competing with God in many levels. What about not only do they compete though, but creeds also change. Twelve years later, that was in, in 1956. In 1968, a new edition was published. In it, we could find the following. Change is all around and all we see. Change is both lyric and fact. To a careful observer of the life of the United Methodist Church, this axiom is also the prudent estimate of our condition. The church is forming the United Methodist Church, the Evangelical United Brethren Church, and the Methodist Church bear marks of change. We trust it has been with a purpose that the prophetic voice of the Holy Spirit has been heard and obeyed that our obedience was not always been forthright and straight line we acknowledge with deep regret. This addition just admitted is that change is coming to their divine and authoritative creed book given by the Holy Spirit, which would therefore suggest that it would not be the timeless words of God. And what this proves is that the teachings of the Methodist Church and many other churches today might not be the same today as they will be tomorrow. That is because they are of men, and creeds can change. Another point I'd like to very quickly in this creeds of men point out is that creeds also bind. One last quote taken from their book is the same year as that, 1968. said, the book of discipline is the first written document uniting us in the United Methodist Church. These creed books bind Methodists together. Just as the Baptist manual binds many Baptists together, just as the confessions of the Presbyterian church binds Presbyterians together. In other words, creeds create walls that divide or denominate different religions. And this flies in the face of Jesus' plea for unity found in John chapter 17. John 17 verse 20, I do not ask on behalf of these alone, but for those who also... But for those also who believe in me, through their word, that they may all be one, even as you, Father, are in me, and I in you, that, also, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you sent me. So one way that man has gone about to do all things in the name of the Lord 
has been to set up these creeds as to how they're going to do things. We can see that this is not a right way to do all in the name of, his, in the, name of the Lord. Another one that I would like to talk about is the traditions of family. And, and a, a section of, of what we're going to talk about right now, I talked about in my morning sermon because I just knew I had wrote it down somewhere and I, I, and I got mixed up. So you're going to hear it again. And I, and I apologize for that. But the traditions of family are another way that we attempt to do things in the, in the name of the Lord and oftentimes fall short of that. Let me give you the example of, of, of a daughter who sees her mom cut off the turkey leg, wrap it in tin foil, and stick it in the oven. And she asks her, why did you do that? The mom says, well, I don't know why I did that. I, I've always saw my mother do that. And so she goes to her grandma and says, Grandma, why do you take the turkey leg off the turkey, wrap it in foil, and stick it in the oven? She says, well, you know, I, I never really give it much thought. It's the same thing that my grandmother, or that my mother always did. So a little later, the daughter asks the great-grandmother, why, why do they do this? The great-grandmother says, I did it because my oven was too small to fit the whole turkey. I have no clue why those two still do it. Some traditions are completely harmless and are comical to us, but some are not. Look over at Acts chapter 9. Some traditions we see here that were certainly far from harmless. Found in verse 1, Now Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priests and asked for letters from him to the synagogues at Damascus, so that if he found any belonging to the way, both men and women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem as he was traveling. Or bound to Jerusalem. As he was traveling, it happened that he was approaching Damascus, and suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. And he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up, enter the city, and it will be told you what you must do. The men who traveled with him stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no one. Saul got from got up from the ground, and though his eyes were open, he could see nothing. And leading him by the hand, they brought him into Damascus, and he was three days without sight, and neither ate nor drank. Now Saul was a very righteous and godly person, at least in his own eyes, in view of what he had been taught. All his life he had been taught that these, these ways of, of the Pharisees, and in, in many people's eyes, they probably viewed him as a, a, a real upright and outstanding person. As I mentioned this morning, that they probably looked at him as a Phineas. They probably looked at him as someone who had a zeal, who was really taking care of this problem, this blasphemous problem with these members of the way. But he couldn't have been more wrong, further from the truth. And afterwards, we see in his life that he goes on to become a great preacher and an apostle known as Paul, but think if he had stuck to these traditions, traditions that he had learned. The way of man does not equate to the, to the name of the Lord. Turn over to Jeremiah. Actually, I put this on the board, I'm sorry. Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23. If you still like to turn there, go right ahead. But Jeremiah chapter 10, verse 23. I know, O Lord, that a man's way is not in himself. Proverbs 14, verse 12, another passage we probably know quite well. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. If these are not the way to do all things in his name, how do we do that? How do we do all, all things in the name of the Lord? Let's look now at God's way to do this. First thing we need to recognize, very important for us to start at the beginning and look in Matthew 
But let's look at Matthew chapter 28. We will ask the question, who has the authority? Matthew 28, verse 18, Jesus said, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. The authority was given to him. Where was it given from? It was given from God. This should immediately point our authority for everything we think, everything we say, everything we do towards Jesus, our Lord. Now turn over to John chapter 16. In John chapter 16, we read, read a little bit about this library that each one of us has, this wealth of knowledge that we, are, that we are blessed to be able to hold in our hands. John 16 and verse 7, Jesus says, But I tell you the truth, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the Helper will not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. And then skipping down to verse 13, but when He, the Spirit of the truth, comes, He will guide you into all truth, for He will not speak on His own initiative, but whatever He hears, He will speak, and He will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify Me, for He will take of Mine and will disclose to you. <clears throat> all things that the Father has are Mine, therefore I, said that, therefore I said that He takes of Mine and will disclose it to you. A little while and you will no longer see Me, and again a little while you will see Me. The Holy Spirit who guided the apostles, who, who, who inspired the words that they recorded for us and that they spoke to others, it wasn't what he wanted to tell them. It wasn't just what he felt like would be good things for them to hear and good things for them to record and tell the rest of us. It says it was things that belonged to Jesus. It was things that were coming from the authority of Jesus. Jesus saying the authority was coming, or that he has has come from God. So we can understand that the words that were recorded, inspired by the, by the Holy Spirit, that the apostles recorded were words that came from God. Another example of this is in John 14 and verse 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, He will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all things that I said to you. Just another example of, for us to remember of who it is that, that we have, that, that we answer to, whose authority should be in our lives, it is Jesus's. Another passage for us to look at is 1 Corinthians. 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Look over in verse 10. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 10. For to us God revealed them through the Spirit, and for the Spirit searches all things, even the depths of God. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the Spirit of the man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the Spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, so that we may know the things freely given to us by God, which things we also speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but in those taught by the spirit, combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. God revealed himself. God revealed his desires. God revealed his wants, his will for us through his spirit, and this is what the apostles preached. This is what was later recorded for us. And that is why we would read later in Galatians 1, verses 8 and 9, that, we, that they are to be accursed. Anyone that brings anything not matching up to this gospel, not matching up to what was already spoken. It says in verse 8, But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach to you any gospel contrary to what we have preached to you, he is to be accursed. As we have said before, so I say again now, if any man is preaching to you a gospel contrary to what you received, he is to be accursed. Another way to sum all of this up, 
All of these things that we have just read is found in Hebrews chapter 1. Said in a nice short little package in verse 1 and 2, God, after He spoke long ago to the fathers and the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He made the world. Verse 2 says He is the heir of all things. If we were to read on, Hebrews 9 verse 16 reminds us that He has to die for us to receive that inheritance and that He has died so that we have that hope of receiving that inheritance. So, so how do we do that? How do we have that hope? It's by recognizing His supreme authority over all that we are. It's by recognizing that He is so much more than just our Savior. He is our Lord. It's by doing all things in His name. So why is all this so important? Maybe that's the, the next logical question. Why does this matter? Well, Colossians 3.17 tells us that that we need to be doing this so we know it's a commandment. It is something that is commanded for us to do. But John chapter 6 and verse 38 tells us that it is an example that Jesus had already set for us. It is something that Jesus did. And if we were to be Christians and we are following His example, it's something we need to be doing as well. John chapter 6 and verse 38. For I have come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of Him who sent me. We see this was something that Jesus did in His life. He applied it to His life. He didn't live by His own name, but by the name of Him who sent Him, working under His will. It also, we can read in 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 10, that it brings unity. The creeds of men that do so much division and cause us to, to set up these walls amongst ourselves, the will or doing things in the name of the Lord, it does just the opposite. It binds us together. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, and verse 10, Now I exhort you, brethren, by the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that you all agree and that there be no divisions among you, but that you, but that you be made complete in the same mind and the same judgment. For I have been informed concerning you, my brethren, by close people, that there are quarrels among you. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I am of Apollos, and I am of Cephas, and I am of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for the name of Paul. Or excuse me, Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? Again, if we would just hold to, I mean, how, how much wonderful would it be if we all made this a point in our lives that we are going to live and we are going to do all that we do in the name of the Lord? And so there would be no more of this, well, my church says this, well, my church says that, but simply Jesus says this, and this is what I will do. And then we see in 2 Timothy 4, 2 Timothy 4, verse 6 through 8, that it will certainly lead to a crown of righteousness. In verse 6, For I am already being poured out as a drink offering, and at the time of my departure has come. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the course, I have kept the faith. In the future there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have loved His appearing. This wonderful, wonderful idea of something that we should all be striving for, something that we should all be looking forward to, something that we can certainly attain. There's something that we must live a life that is in His name to be able to reach that goal. This is so important for us to understand because Christ is supreme. 
In fact, that is the context of, of the book of Colossians. It's been a, a context of much of our study in that book. The supremacy of Christ. He is far superior than man. We don't do things in the name of men. He's far superior than governments. We shouldn't be doing things in the name of governments. He's even far superior than the angels. Whose better name is there for us to do all things in? He is worthy to be authority or authoritative over our lives. We must submit ourselves in all things to Jesus Christ. We must submit ourselves in all things to His perfect law. And maybe we would more easily remember the command to do all in the name of the Lord. If there be one here this afternoon who has not yet taken that opportunity to do so, I'll encourage you to accept the salvation that Christ offers in obedience and submission to Him. Or maybe you have been living a life, a living life that is not described as in the name of the Lord. Maybe it's through your words, it's through your actions, or maybe it's even through your thoughts that you have been giving Satan authority in your life. Because if it's not given to Christ, who else is there to give it to but the Lord, or but to the world? So I'd encourage you this afternoon, if there be some way that we can help you, some way that we can encourage you to do all in the name of the Lord, or if you know that you need to accept the, the forgiveness of sins and the salvation that He offers through obedience to Him, I would encourage you, please come forward now as we stand, as we say.